Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Salt Mine. We are coming at you following week number four of the NACL. My name is Gordo. I'm Yarko. Yes. And it's still just three of us. I've taken legal action against Bonfire. He's, uh, he'll be paying me his dues at some point for failure to appear on this show, but he'll be back at some point, presumably. Uh, in the meantime, though, we're keeping it with the three-man squad, and we are going to kick it off, as we do every week, with Player of the Week. So we got 18 more matches in the NACL from Week 4. We have passed our midway point. Who do we have as player of the week for this first uh, topic of the night? I guess I'm going to start it off and kind of allude to something we're definitely going to be talking about in specifics in the future, which is 100 Thieves Challengers looking fantastic. But I think I personally want to highlight out of these five members, Destiny, the support. I think that out of all these games, they basically played exactly as the support needs to in every single situation. Very, very low deaths. I think they died a total of like five times throughout the entirety of the week. Multiple times they were just pumping wonderful, wonderful, wonderful setups for their team. Even on champions like Lulu, who aren't necessarily known as engagers, they were able to get really good positions for their team. And I think that beyond that, their vision game was top notch. And I need to in some way atone for all of the flame that I've directed towards supports in general general on my time in the salt mines so you know immaculate play from a team that's looking really really good right now might as well highlight them i'm in a similar boat in a couple of ways uh first of all i also feel like i've been underrating nacl supports uh these last couple of weeks just gone a little bit under discussed um when some of them have certainly been showing up uh, and been having huge performances zazel in particular um but it's always very difficult to separate bot laners from their supports when doing these sorts of evaluations. And something to be noted there uh, is that my player of the week is going to be Unforgiven. Uh, the way that I'm going to separate the two is that Unforgiven gets like a 1v5 pentakill against CLG. <laughs> uh, and and that's, that's going to really push him over the edge for me. Just a, a bananas performance across the board in the 100 Thieves Super Week here for Unforgiven. He had some great performances. Uh, and I'm going to have to give it to him here. Finally, we get what we were promised here with this import bot laner. For sure. You know, Gordo, I did say before I had the hipster take on the whole affair. And, you know, if I'm able to patch up my reputation alongside highlighting a really, really fantastic bot lane. Yeah, I have the most mainstream take imaginable. I'm pretty sure if you were to poll uh, a lot of NACL viewers, most would choose Unforgiven uh, after that 1v5 pentakill. You got to give it to them there. I'm more on the XU side, if I'm honest. So I used to, I think XU is looking like one of the, obviously the better players overall in the NACL. I think that a lot of the impact that he creates for Dixie is one of the reasons why they are so dominant so consistently. Like, I think that as a team, they work pretty well, but a lot of the value that XU is adding to the team is one of the reasons why I think that they're at the top and why they are going to keep on being there for a while. Now, I'm not sure if that's going to continue consistently, or at least it's going to push me to align with Bonfire to think Dixie is going to be the number one team. But I do think that that the duel between XU and Insanity on the mid lane has been not only so good, I think XU has been dominating a lot of the parts from the game from Dixie, particularly to me. 
it's a struggle, but I, I like the XU pick though. Uh, I, I really, I, I feel like every week I want to give it to somebody on Dig Challengers, but it feels like they, they alternate who the star is so frequently game to game. You know, XU has some of these great carry performances, Insanity uh, constantly looking really good. I think they're the most dangerous mid-jungle duo in the league. Uh, but Tomo and Diamond are crazy as well. They have these fantastic 2-2 two and two performances uh, that really makes me lean over towards their direction. And even Hoon gets some pop-offs in there from time to time. I say even Hoon, like... <laughs> like <laughs> Uh, it almost feels like a backhanded compliment there, but you know, he's really kind of shown what Dignitas, uh, was looking for in him when they brought him in last year and put him in the worst situation imaginable. He's really, uh, I think come into his own a little bit more in this split. Is even Hoon easy Hoon's brother or a long lost <laughs> relative or something like that? Uh, I I'm sorry. I need to get my play by play practice in somewhere and you this is it. where I got to make, I'll give him the pun. <laughs> that really was the easy joke, by the way. Just saying. The easy hoon joke? Hoon joke. Yes! Ah, right. <laughs> there we go, baby! BB brains. Alright, we're we're warmed up. We're ready to get into the show here. I, I like those picks for player of the week here. Let's get into some topics for the week. I, w- I want to start off with uh, 100 Thieves Challengers. You know, we, we gave a couple of player of the week calendars there. 6-0 Super Week. For 100 Thieves. Are they back in contender status? We had them as our number one ranked team coming into the split. They've been a little quieter since then, dropping games here and there to all sorts of different teams. Does this 6 0 week mean, you know, they're finally gelling? They've got their full roster. Are, are they here to compete? I do like the fact that 100 Thieves are looking good and smashing games. I think that they're just consistently one of the most exciting teams to watch, regardless of their trajectory in the NACL, just because they have so many storylines. And we talked about those pretty extensively. Go back and check our first episode out, guys. But I do think that we have to start this week off with a little bit of an asterisk. Some of their games were, you know, not of the highest quality in terms of competition. They had a series against FlyFam and a series against CLG Faith, and that's two-thirds of their games played so far. Yeah, I would have to agree with the in that regard. I don't think that they are taking off of the candidate conversation just because of how they did start, because starting is not the important part, it's how you finish. So I still give them the benefit of the doubt in a lot of those situations. I will say, though, that I don't think that we've yet seen the potential that 100C can really showcase, and I'm still not sold out, not necessarily because of only their games, but I still feel like some of their decision-making and like coordination between each other still are lacking in certain aspects and until i see like some changes in how they work particularly mid mid lane jungle like duo work how they work together but also the jungle support situation feels a little bit wacky sometimes in how they try to opt out i was expecting the talent individually to be there but i still want to see more of the cohesion as a team and i think that that's going to show a little bit later the longer we go on See, I, I, that's super interesting to hear, TDS, because I almost come in with the opposite opinion there, in that I feel like they're starting to show a little bit more of the team cohesion. I think in particular, I think the team fighting out of Unforgiven and Pretty uh, has really impressed me in this last week. I think these two are a really, really dangerous carry duo. Where I get a little bit more concerned is where we've seen some of the individual showings. I think in particular, kind of a weak week from Sniper, right? Uh, in particular, the series against FlyFam, he gets solo killed by Lunasia both games. 
uh, a couple of times, I think, in the first game, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and just starts start looking like he's having a little bit of struggles uh, as he adapts to the league. And, you know, we've seen that week on week now, right? He struggled against Faisal, too. A lot of these kind of provisional tier top laners uh, have, have been getting the better of him here and there. And I think that the fact that Sniper as kind of cratering in terms of my toppling rankings does kind of feed back to the fact that right now I think one of the things to highlight about them is their team cohesion. They don't have to win through individually smashing lanes. Although bot lane, they are individually smashing in quite a few separate games. But overall, I do think that, yeah, as a whole, they feel like a more complete package going deeper on into this season. I'm excited to see where they go from here. And I would like to add a little bit on that on on the 100 c side that i still like like i was saying i'm still hopeful for them i think they are a team that are going to compete i think that by the end we're going to see their like style really shine through and i think mechanically they were already really great so i i don't think that a lot of the issues are not going to be fixed it's just that a lot of their individual prowess is already going to kind of cover the main issues more more so than them not being able to resolve them it's that their individual quality is going to be enough so that they don't have to worry that much for now about those issues but it's when those issues really become prevalent and i think that's around play of uh the play of mark because that's where teams have more cohesion between each other have more time between each other the patch is going to change as well so you don't have the same like read as potentially you had previously that's where we're going to need to see the problems be solved a little bit more because mechanical prowess is not going to let you go over a couple of these teams particularly teams that do have mid laners that can answer to pretty because i think that that's one of the spots where 100c has been showing really nice like consistent things and mid laners that are going to contest pretty are going to be i think the hardest to try and go over for 100c yeah i think that's fair i do want to say as uh to, to redeem myself from the, the sniper slander earlier on. He did get to play Riven this week as well up against CLG Faith. He did get to solo kill Bajani a bunch of times. It was a bunch of fun to watch. So definitely go check out that game if you're a big sniper fan and you're uh, clenching your fists in my, my BM here. As the CLG Faith fan, I will say it was not a lot of fun to watch. It was disappointing, although, you know, it is nice that Sniper is still able to shine on occasion and bring out some of these picks that I think are a little bit more just in, just something that plays towards their comfort. Honestly, it's something that I want to see more of on all lanes and all teams in the NACL. I think it's something that Wildcard has oftentimes been the forefront and center of in terms of discussion but yeah maybe that could spread a little bit to other teams just open up especially in these not so close series where we have clear contenders and clear laggers in the league in general i think that we should hopefully see some more flexibility out of players in general so branching off from that uh you bring up clg faith narco let's let's talk about clg faith a little bit as we are once again in the news with CLG Faith here as some rumors are coming out. Eevee has tweeted this publicly, so I, I feel like this is now in the public realm of discussion. We won't get into anything um, that maybe isn't quite public knowledge yet. Uh, but rumored additional changes for CLG Faith. The rumor is that Saranok will be stepping down. Uh, that is being reported as voluntary. Uh, and CLG Faith going to be looking for a replacement in the mid lane. How do we feel about that for this roster? Uh, 
feel like we kind of called it at the start. Not like it was an obvious thing that was going to happen and not like I thought that it was going to be this way. I, I, I was pretty sure I was expecting them to do it at the end of the season, like completely when everything was uh, done. Because I think that Saranok was, if not the weakest, one of the weaker mid laners in the overall NACL. I don't think he particularly showcased anything previously that would make me think he would be such a huge talent to see come through. And for CLG Faith, I think I was the one that gave them the lowest. Yeah, I was one of the ones that gave them the lowest scoring for the overall, like in the overall NACL for how I expect them to go. A lot of that had to do with their soul laners. I thought Serenok wasn't going to be able to shine at all. And it seems like that's something that CLG Faith caught up to and they're looking to replace him. I, I just don't think that he's caught up to this level uh, at least in my eyes it is heartbreaking to see clg faith in this roster that i've already spent a lot of blood sweat and tears to get behind starting to fragment a little bit you know we also had the alterations in the bot lane although that was a little bit more predictable and a long time coming i think that i have to agree with you tds i'll go a step further and say i think saranok is the worst mid laner in the entirety of the necl um, and a lot of that comes down not only to his individual lane play, but also a lack of flexibility regarding champions. I know, Gordo, you and I talked about this a little bit before. He's unfortunately like relegated to playing a few artillery mages and quite a bit of control there in the mid lane, but you can't really put him onto an Akali. You can't flex him towards Silas. And all of these champions that are kind of spiking into the meta and are good to respond and keep the mid lane as dynamic as it should be at any point in the LOL meta, I think, means that there was always a gaping hole in CLG Faith's ability to be competitive. And hopefully the adjustments we see from Faith going forward will be something that helps them. Um, and it's not even a matter of me seeing more wins out of them. I think I want to reflect back on that Myra tweet from last week. I just care a lot about this team having an environment where everybody is kind of on the same page. They want to grow. Wins come second to just developing as players and as a team. And I think that's pretty much touching on one of the main issues that how much, like there, there comes the, the uh, part of the argument that you have to think about. How much can a player really develop compared to their peers? And how, and at what point do you think like there's no more development to really look into? Because there's players that hit their ceiling at some point. Like, as sad as it, as it says, some peak a little bit earlier than others, and the development for them is not only a little bit harder to be able to accomplish, but there's just simply a point where you cannot go higher than what you're already achieved. And I think that that's maybe something that Saranok is potentially facing, and that's why they're looking to replace him. Also, just thinking about the, the Pulishes and something like that, like it just came to mind where you compare him to someone like APA, where he can play those artillery mages, but you see his pool usage, and he has much more a much more broad, uh, broader variety of champions compared to Serenok. Like, you can play the, the artillery mages, it's nothing bad about that, or adding other champions that are off meta to your pool, but you can... You have to still play the meta champions to a certain degree. And I think that that's something that APA has shown that you can have the pool and still be good enough to play the other champions. And Serenok hasn't really been performing to that level in, in that regard as well. And I think that that's why we see him fall off or fall comparatively compared to other mid laners. Yeah, and I 
am probably one of the people on this podcast that has the most divergent opinion in terms of a meta and in terms of what a good champion pool looks like. But I do think that overall, Saranok is just someone who didn't even shine on the champions that they were supposed to specialize in. We saw Lopoli gave him his uh, Xerath at one point, and it just felt like he was unable to do a whole lot on that champion. The absolutely crazy ways in which the other players were sidestepping his Bride of the Arcane just kind of was a moment that really spoke to me and said you know i just don't think saranok is unfortunately caught it cut out for especially the top side of this league could he have stayed around for this whole year and what i've been happy with that especially if he showed market improvement yeah and i do think that he improved throughout the course of the season it's just you know being his own personal choice and all i think it's clear that he sees another pathway forward be it in or out of league yeah and uh, again you know, it is being reported as a voluntary step down here, which would make it the second that has occurred on this CLG Faith roster, um, as BMFX did before the season began as well. So definitely some unfortunate uh, luck of the draw there for this squad. But, you know, it's also something to be said that if there are changes to be made, I think we've got to be getting pretty close to the time where that's appropriate. Um you know, we're just cresting over the midpoint of the season. At some point, rosters are going to lock, and you will not be able to make changes before your playoffs run and your subsequent uh, potential involvement in relegations if you are one of these provisional teams. And so, if there are, if you are concerned about being relegated and interested in making changes this would probably come close to when you want to do so. Uh, a quick thing, uh, how many teams were relegated? I, I don't remember the, the amount of teams that were going Four to... of the six provisional teams get oh, relegated. Oh, so just two are safe. Uh, are Only safe. two are safe, and it's based on your oh, okay. performance in the playoffs. So who, whatever two teams make it the oh, furthest okay. in playoffs, and then it gets tie-broken on your record if you end yeah. in the same place. So... You know, something to be said there, again, doesn't seem like CLG Faith are making these changes intentionally. The Aaron change was intentional, um, but the uh, Saranok one seems to be him stepping down. Uh, but still, if you are going to be making a change like this, and looking over towards FlyFam as well, who have the same record, if they are going to be looking to make any changes as well... You would think that this is the point in the season where you really want to do it because you need to have time for your roster to gel together. And sure, maybe you're not going to turn around the whole season and make like a run to top 10 or anything, but you want to at least get into a position where you can defend your spot. And I want to kind of return back to this paradigm of a developmental mindset for these lower-ranked provisional teams in reflection of, you know, the upcoming playoffs, the fact that we're more than halfway through the season and roster lock is going to be something to deal with at some point. Do you think that even with a paradigm of improvement and a commitment to just developing, even if it means passing up on cheap and easy wins that a 6% win rate, which is what fly fam and CLG faith currently sit at is too much of a breaking point. Is this an indicator that perhaps you do have to kind of jump and leave behind some of your principles in order to just survive or be in a position where your trajectory in the NACL is one that isn't just straight up crash and burn. I'm glad you're bringing this point because it allows me to make 
my favorite thing, metaphors about football. No! It works perfectly here. Oh, the, God, like... I did it to myself. <laughs> the thing here is, and it's something that we talked about last week with Moose Hater as well. It's, it's all fun and good if you're able to develop the players and they work out uh, massively and all that. But the reality of the issue here is that you are not safe. You don't have a, a guaranteed spot compared to the other teams. Even if you're affiliated to, to the LCS teams, you're still going down if you end up messing up. And that's why I was saying, like, it's all fun and good to say you want to develop players, but we, the, the example last week was Wildcard. Wildcard doesn't have that benefit of the doubt. They need to get those wins. They need to survive because that's where they are banking on, to have the they, them stick in the NACL so that they can keep the value of their like mark their team, their company up, and they can still be playing to showcase their value in the in the NACL. And I think that's something that goes to show that there's a limit to how much you can value uh, trying to raise Salen and trying to not forgive or forgive some of those wins. And now comes the, the football metaphor. In the European leagues, and honestly, in most leagues, the only league that I think doesn't do that is the MLS. United States, you know how that works. It's the MLS, the other, almost every other league in the world, you have relegation. So there's a really fine line between what you can do in terms of trying to, to showcase talent and then trying to win. Teams have tried to or, or, or always try to showcase talent to try and bring them up so that they can try and sell them for a bigger price or to have someone that can be their flagship player and they, that is someone that is brought from the house. And they try to do that. But when the situation becomes difficult, when you're about to be relegated, when you have to fight for your life, they bring the players that are good. They bring the players that can salvage the situation. They bring the coaches that can salvage the situation. And that's something that I think in, in this kind of a scenario, something that is atypical to United States sports because it doesn't happen that frequently or it never happens in NFL, MLS, or any of those sports where you're desperate to salvage the situation you need to try and find that balance well enough. Sometimes the the talent that is brought up saves the situation. It has happened. For example, my team from my country, from my city did that. And it, it allowed it allowed us to be fighting for titles and all that with talent brought from the home, from the ground up. But it doesn't work always. And I think that that's the line that you need to find, the fine line that you need to find. And so I think that you're bringing up some good points here, even if it is cloaked in all of this soccer malarkey TDS. Beautiful. But yeah, there is an existential reason to, uh, to a degree, abandon one's principles because it allows you to maintain a platform where you can continue to develop players into the future. But there's also a dimension to this that I think is a little bit more philosophical, a little bit more social. And it was something that I kind of encountered on Twitter today when I was talking and reacting to this uh, Saranoc change. Is it the case that after a certain point, when you're losing so much, as is the case with Faith, as is the case with FAM right now, that maybe it's just going to be too hard on the team environment for you to really commit to a development mindset. There has to be some kind of carrot at the end of the stick in order to drive players to continue to improve and going and go forward. But right now when it just seems like loss after loss with increasingly harder weeks for CLG faith and five fam, honestly, I think on the record books, it just feels like to a degree players are going to continue to drop. I think if we don't see a change, we may be seeing a lot more Saranox situations, unfortunately, coming out from these teams. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for what 
having this kind of consistent poor performance is doing to some of these players mentally, right? Like, it seems like can't really attribute it to BMFX because he left before the season started, but um, Saranac and now Goo as well, uh, similarly citing that just didn't seem like it was the lifestyle for him. Um, but what I will call out, though, is as far as, you know, pressing the panic button and trying to make big changes here, I don't know that based on the format we're working in here where the four uh, bottom provisional teams get relegated and have to play against the top four amateur teams basically no matter what, I don't know that the specifics of your record matter too much because it's not really that benef- not that different to be... 3-15, and 15, like TL first, instead of being 1-17. It's not even really that different to be 7-11, and 11, like AoE, than to be 1-17. Because you're all going to end up having to compete in that relegation tournament anyway. So rather than talking about this in terms of salvaging your record, or rather than thinking about it in terms of salvaging your record, I think it's more important to just position yourself in such a way that you can keep your spot and win against top amateur teams so you should be looking towards squads like Maryville squads like uh native squads like supernova and be like look we need to build a roster that in six to eight weeks time can face off against these teams rather than talking about optimizing your record in the NACL in particular where that ship is very close to sailing. Like you're gonna end up having to play against Dig or Cloud Nine or Hundred Thieves or Wild Card in the first round, and you're probably not gonna win that. And that's the kind of thing, right? Because I, I think I've heard this somewhere. I'm not sure where, but the worst change that you can do is none at all. You at least have to try to salvage the situation some way. And I think that at least looking to change something, it's probably the best thing that CLG Faith could have looked for. Now, will it made them out of nowhere be able to fight against most of the teams in the upper in the upper side? Actually, not even upper side, in the middle of the bracket? I don't think so. But like you're pointing out, the fact that they still have some time to try and salvage the situation so that they can win in the relegations, then that's completely fine. Like, if this change brings forward a positive record, like let's say they don't win every match, but they win two or three. Now, out of nowhere, you have a situation where the team can see, okay, we are winning. We can look at this brightly. We can try and salvage in the relegations and try and make it so that we are not going to just keep the losing mentality. And I think that that's also something that they are trying to approach here. It's if they can uh, chain a couple of wins here and there, that is is a positive change already that can bring forward a much more positive mindset and a positive atmosphere for the team and look forward to try and just be able to save themselves. That's also something that happens in relegation matches in the in, in football leagues, by the way. You need to try and bring forward a good momentum. Yeah, momentum, yeah. All right. Well, moving on from teams that have gotten very few wins the whole season to teams that are relatively new to having poor weeks. A little check-in. Rough weeks for both Cincinnati Fear and TL Challengers in week number four. Where do we feel like things have started to go wrong, and uh, how are we feeling about these teams uh, in their week four performance? Sergeant, I'll go go forward here and talk about my 
huge, huge, huge disappointment in TLC since I'm one of their main believers and I, I think they they should be one of the stronger teams. Honestly, it's looking kind of rough on their side because even though I do think that they have shining moments, like they're consistently mid at best. And that's a big issue with this team because if they don't have like any sort of advantage in either mid lane or bot lane, I don't think they're achieving much. Bradley, for all that we talked about, I haven't seen anything explicitly great or not explicitly, increasingly great from Bradley. Like, I think he hasn't been horrible, but he hasn't been that great either. He's been average at best. And then Mir is an incognita because I don't know what to expect from Mir anymore. Like, sometimes he looks like a good jungler, but then I feel like he just loses the game for the team in a lot of ways that I'm not happy about. And the same can be said to Kim down to a certain degree. I think that the most consistent members have been Arrow, but Arrow is a veteran, so you kind of expect that coming from him. And I don't think that his carry performances have been super, super high. And then APA, I still think that he's one of the better mid laners, but sometimes I just think that he's trying too hard to try and carry the team out, and that just ends up biting them back even more. Yeah, I definitely share some disappointment in Bradley from TL so far this season, uh, you know, just because of how high I was on him coming into the split, right? Not to say that he's been a bad top laner by any means, uh, but I think, you know, he was in contention for potentially best player in the league coming into the split, you know, Unforgiven, pretty high on there, but, you know, MNS was pretty unproven uh, attribute. We didn't really know how a lot of these other teams were going to shake out. I think default assumption was that Bradley would be up towards the top of that list. Uh, and I just think the performances haven't really reflected that so far. Just a quick thing, though. I like. Is it funny that I still think that he's probably one of the, top, the, the higher rated top laners because I think that the top lane pool hasn't been that exciting in, in general? Like I, I used to, I haven't been surprised with any top laner though. So I still think Bradley, even with all that, isn't below potentially top six, top five. I think. I think that's a fair take. I think that Bradley, even in the games that they were losing, looked relatively decent this uh, past week. I think that they had a decent performance on Gangplank. Even the Cannon game was fine, but. There are still, I think, very clear gaps in TL that I hope get patched up as the season progresses. Because I'm another person who is a big believer in TL, so I'm right there with you, TDS. For me, I think that one of the big things that I wasn't a fan of this week was their performance in draft. I just thought that they were drafting bizarre things. The Tristana mid coming out. Talia is just unfortunately a bad champion as probably the biggest Talia fan in NA. Um, but overall, it, it just feels that they are trying to specialize their pick bands a little bit too heavily for the teams that they are up against, and they aren't really tracking the meta. And especially as, you know, we are moving through patches now, and we'll talk a little bit about that in the future, it feels that as a whole, they really don't have a grasp on what to go for and how to knock out stuff that really is becoming big thorns in their backsides. Yeah, uh, I will even walk my points a little bit back there now that I think about it, just because in response to that relatively weak top lane pool, I agree. I think Bradley's still got to be in the top five, right? Like top five are probably in some order fake God. Uh, I think you probably have to put Jenkins in there right now. Um, Moose Hater is probably sitting around there. I mean... <laughs> 
Dude's been slamming a lot of lanes. Uh, Surdy probably goes in that list. Uh, and, and then you're probably getting into Bradley territory. You know, maybe maybe a little shout out to Faisal in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I, I think I agree. The top lane pool has been pretty big. Soul is right out. I mean, he's he's been, I think, a little bit disappointing this season. Hauntzer maybe makes an appearance up there as well. I think he's looked pretty good. Um, but there's definitely a very wide middle ground for, for these top laners. Yeah. Honestly, if we're going to target a specific player on TL that I have not been happy with, especially this past week, it's APA. I thought that they had a pretty abysmal performance this time around. For me, it's a it's a little bit of both. I think there's been there's definitely some disappointing games out of AP. I think in particular his Azir game versus CLG yeah. is what I think of. Maybe. That was that was a tough game for him. Just missing a lot of skills, whiffing some ulties in there, whiffing some Qs. Not what I want to see either. Um, but I also definitely think that uh, I, I think Kim Down definitely. Um, deserves a little bit of uh of some of the blame here he has some games in there on the nautilus uh where he is just getting caught over and over again the first game against clg in particular he is he is just getting he's getting demolished by a meech breezy lucian lane which i've previously called out as being meech and breezy's uh inferior uh setup in the bottom lane we'll call it uh but you know it's it's enough to take him down uh up against kim down and arrow that's kind of my like my biggest gripe is the fact that I I think he's still the the shiniest the shiniest part of TLC, but at the end of the day, like he still has performances that sometimes not only look bad, but it really like even more so makes TLC look bad. Because if APA is not doing well, the rest of the of TLC doesn't look that well, and that's why I think that he's the one that I have the most trust. But also why I think they need APA to be doing good because Arrow. For, for as much as I think he's a really good AD carry, I don't think he's the best part of TLC at all. Yeah, I mean, if they want APA to shine, they got to stop picking Talia and Tristana mid then, man. Ideally, I, yeah. These two champions are just not good right now, in my opinion. A showmaker played Talia once and he won, okay? So he must be a good <laughs> champion. <laughs> I mean... Uh... Oh god, I, I think that Talia mid has been bad for so long. Honestly, I was watching uh, all of the teams in play-ins for Worlds try Talia mid, and it was just depressing game after game watching this champion get run into the ground. Which you know is good for me. It means that probably no nerfs in Talia's future. But oh my goodness, guys! <laughs> yeah, I will. I will say. I know you guys are both lamenting this as people who rated TL super highly. I'm taking a victory lap here. I had TL a little <laughs> bit lower, and I called this Ooh. out last week, guys. That. TL's strength of schedule was so weak for the beginning of this season. You know, people were really rating this team super high, but, you know, now they're starting to get challenged a little bit. Playing against CLG, playing against Cloud9, they cannot stand up to some of these stronger teams. Um, maybe that'll change with time, but from what I saw in their first few weeks, I'm, I'm not surprised that they're struggling here, and I'll suspect that they'll continue to struggle as they have to face opponents like Wildcard and Dignitas in the coming weeks. You take your victory lap, Gordo. Honestly, at this point, I have no pride left. My power rankings were <laughs> abysmal, and I'm willing to fully admit that. I'm just along for the ride now, and frankly, this has been a great season with a whole lot of things not going the way I was expecting, which frankly means that the NACL is an exciting place. 
it's okay. I think that I think TLC will will showcase will will appear on the playoffs, and me and Yarko are going to end up laughing together because I I believe in the TLC supremacy at the end of everything. What I want to bring up though, everyone didn't have faith in them, and then they showcased themselves, and then this week wasn't the best. We haven't talked about beer for their week that wasn't the best. And honestly, to me, I I don't care about the other matches. TSM, the TSM one is the one that I want to focus the most because that to me was the most disappointing version of fear we've seen so far. Yeah, I I think that definitely was a disappointing performance. I do want to give some of that credit to TSM. Um, I think they're looking better as they start to gel with drag coup a little bit more. I think Wild Turtle in particular he's just in a groove this week where he's just willing to blind pick Zaya in all situations, and that's not really how people are playing the game on 13-1-B, but seems to look pretty okay for Wild Turtle. Um, so they were able to perform pretty well in those bot lanes, and letting Wild Turtle and Dragku hold their own in the two-on-two, something that Wild Turtle has not been doing most of this season, really lets this play around the top side Haunster playstyle work a lot better. The good thing about Sai is that it allows Wild Turtle to flash in without any reason and then press R and don't die. So I think that's why we're seeing the blind Sai. You can also ask the leg teams because they seem to love Sai for some reason as well. Perhaps. But yeah, I, I think definitely the story of the TSM Fear series is... First of all, uh, Minui picks really short-range AD carries both games. He picks Kalista in Game 1 and Vayne in Game 2. Uh, and the plan seems to be to play around top-mid from Fear both games, and I think Svenskeren and Haunter do a great job to neutralize that. Uh, and then once TSM's ahead, like Minui on these short-range AD carries like cannot play the game. So, an interesting match, for sure, uh, and not turning out the way we expected but i think tsm uh they come in with a really solid game plan and i think they execute really cleanly and i do think that part of the dynamic that is leading to this big blowout which is the 2-0 victory of tsm over fear is that tsm is punching above their weight class i actually had drag coup on my short list of people that i wanted to highlight which maybe tipped my hand to show that i was actively looking for supports to praise this week but still i think that drag coup really impressed uh the fact that they're bringing soraka into the meta i think is a really really smart call on their front and it was really just kind of that 0-4 Nautilus game that they had, I think, against AoE that knocked them off of the ultimate uh, pedestal of, you know, player of the week in the NACL for the Saltmine podcast. But, you know, overall, um, they had an impressive showing. And the question is, is this the sign of a downhill trend for Fear? I don't think so. I think that we are just seeing them come back to Earth. There's variance that comes from every single game of League of Legends. Even a 2-0, I don't think, really tells the whole story, right? But at the end of the day, I will say it brings a little bit more concern back in terms of how these guys are going to perform in the future. But for this one week, I'm not too torn up about it. Maybe next time we come through, things are going to be a little bit more shaky, and I'll have a little bit less faith. But I think they're going to be able to rally from yeah, I will say I definitely don't blame them for losing to Dignitas. Uh, I think this Dig squad, you know, they're really going to skill test you in every single lane. I think it's crazy how correct Bonfire was in the preseason here. Like, this is a team of five gatekeepers, uh, and they're all, you know, I think everybody individually is 
probably around, if not very close to top five in their role. Um, who and maybe hovering six, seventh, eighth ish, but uh, you know they will punish you if you are not up to snuff in one of your positions. And in the matchup against Fear, like Tomo and Diamond just blow open bot lane both games. Uh, Minui and Trevor uh, just cannot deal with that pressure. Um, but and they play both halves of the lane, right? Tomo's on Zeri in game number one, and then Tomo's on Lucian with the Lucian Nami in game number two. And both of them just hard gap for Tomo Diamond in the bottom lane um, in the matchups against Dignitas. And I'll do the, you know, almost traditional at this point, salt mine, lean back and say, holy cow, guys, we're talking about a provisional team where we're disappointed that they had a rough showing versus Dignitas, who somehow is popping off. That is a their first place. Animal. Yeah, it's very impressive stuff, honestly. And like I said, it's those kinds of things that give me faith for the future. And even if they do crater, they are not cratering to the bottom. Of, I think they're still firmly above AOE and the like. I think that words comes to worst, fear will stick middle of the pack for the rest of the split. But I believe that they're going to bounce back. And exactly. That's the thing, though, like bringing it back to to the conversation of what do you try and do to keep yourself there? Fear already did that. Like, they not only brought the play uh, players that weren't necessarily big faces, but they played really well, and they are able to keep themselves in the upper side of the bracket. As long as they don't, like, collapse in a way that is unprecedented, to say it like that, they should be good enough to be able to survive and then stay stay up top. And I, I mean survive not in the same way as CLG Fear, Fly Fam of TLC or TLC or AOE, where they need to grasp to everything they can so that they can keep themselves in the NACL. I think Fear will keep themselves up. Like they have shown that they are a really good team and that they have the tools to be able to keep themselves in a spot where they can keep fighting with the top teams. Like I think the least I expect from them is to be eighth or seventh, in all honesty. Yeah, I think what's what's impressed me the most about Fear this season has been uh, they're kind of the other side of the wild card coin, right? It's been that they do play, I would say, quite traditionally. Like, I do, I, they're definitely, you know, they're not a stock standard meta team playing the most generic picks every game, but they are definitely closer to the mean than somebody like Wildcard. Uh, and they're able to have these threats from all the positions, it feels like. I think the standout players are Perry and Shochi, but you can put resources towards Faisal on something like the Olaf and have a lot of success that way, and I think there have been matches where either Perry's been able to set up Minui and Trevor, or they've just gotten the leads on their own, and then Trevor's been able to roam around the map and make plays happen. They've been successful across the board, and that's what I think separates them from somebody who struggled more like TL first, where I feel like they can play towards top side, and I think they can rely on Aspect and uh, Surti to play their roles, but it feels like Mia and Rovex on the bottom side have not been able to keep up with the competition in many scenarios. All right, well, I do believe this was the last week that's going to be on 13.1b as well, so can wave goodbye to that patch that it feels like we've kind of been on for forever and and welcome in 13.3, which a little bit confusing on the patch notation there, Riot, but whatever, we'll call it 13.3 if you want to call it 13.3. What are we looking forward to in these coming weeks with that change? 
I just want to say, I think that part of the reason why it feels like we've been spending an eternity on 13.1b is because of the naming convention where we had 13.1 <laughs> kind of blend into 13.1b. And so we've been sitting here for a while, as you're saying, Gordo. But, you know, I have a lot of things that I'm looking forward to. Most notably, I'm looking forward to not seeing Cassante in basically every single game. Its presence has been wild. And I think that while it has been a very good litmus test about how these top laners are adapting to the meta, and I think it really is kind of showing in some cases that the Emperor has no clothes if they just kind of bungle playing to Cassante. Having such high priority on that champion has been a struggle. Also, Maokai, for the love of God, I think it's like a 94% presence overall. Please get the champion out of the meta. Just, just saying, by the way, are Cassante nerfs a buff to wildcard? Because <laughs> I don't think Moose Hater has played a Cassante game all season. Pretty sure he hasn't. I was actually looking at his stats, and his top three champs are Garen, Sag, Gudir. So, I, I would say no. But I will say, though, for the 13.3, the thing that I'm looking out for the most... First of all, I don't really care if Maokai is gone or not. I still think that that's a, not a bait pick. I think that he's a strong, but I think the over-prioritization of that champion is kind of laughable because for all it's picking, I still think that he's a champion that a lot of teams lose on consistently. TDS, we, we had this discussion earlier today when we were prepping for meta shift. Yeah. You said it was a bait pick there too. Look at the stats, my man. It's at a 70% win rate with the, one of the highest presences in the entire league. The champion yeah. is not balanced. But you could say the same for Sejuani to a certain degree. Like, yeah, because she's also good. They are game. Yeah, no, but I think, first of all, I think Sejuani is better than the Maokai second. I don't think Maokai is bad. I just think everyone picks it without really knowing the purpose of picking it. Like, they're playing for the MIPS. And yeah, the MIPS are good and all that. But more times than less, you just see the champion win because of an after effect. Don't necessarily because of him being the main reason why you win. And I, that's not bad, but I don't think that that means that it's a, like the best broken champion in the game. The other thing that I wanted to say, though, is that Kisenta may be gone, but I hope you're ready for the Saiyan, the Cho'Gath, the tanks that are going to come through in top lane a lot. Because those are popping up so much, and I think that we're going to see much, much more from them. And Gwen as well. I've seen a lot of Gwen, and I think Gwen can have her place in the meta. Oh, Kai'Sa as well, by the way. I think Kai'Sa also. I am excited for the Umbral Glaive nerfs on ranged champions yes. uh, on top of the uh, engaged champion buffs. Most of the engaged buffs feel kind of placebo-y. Uh, like, they feel like they're really, really tiny. But the Umbral Glaive nerf on ranged champions, maybe that's finally what pushes us over the edge. No more Caitlyn support, no more Varus support, no more of this garbage. Uh, I want some traditional supports back. Ash can still be played, by the way, though. So. Yeah, fine, fine. I'll give you Ash. I'll give I'll give the world Ash. You can have one marksman playable in bottom lane. Well, on Twitch. If if people start playing Twitch, they're welcome to. Because nobody's doing it now. So if they want to do it post nerf, go ahead. I mean, several notes here. One, why in the world does Umbral Glaive exist as an item? I feel that 
you know, if this was just something that was like a low elo stomper and people were just choked out on vision because they didn't understand how to place wards properly and how to bait people in to try to clear these wards out, that would be fine. But the fact that we're seeing this item picked at the very highest level of play, the fact that there are Korean one tricks that are able to play Zed support just because they can rush Umbral Glaive, I think speaks to the fact that this item is bad for the game. And I think it's been bad for the NACL on the same front. Literally only exists because of Pike. I'm pretty sure. Like I think it's like they're like, look, we designed an assassin support, but there's no assassin support items, uh, and and thus Umbral Glaive is born. So, the thing that I, that I feel like the biggest issue with the Umbral Glaive, not because I don't think that it's not a broken item. Like I can see why it's so potent by itself i think that the biggest issue that i have with it is that because assassins are so weak in general that you have to see in another champions to really make an effort to to see the value with it because it's not like we see assassins actually be the ones that like make the most out of the item not i'm not talking about solo queue right obviously in solo queue you can see where the assassins just completely snowball with that item if you know what you're doing but in pro play assassins are seen i think once or twice in a blue moon not talking about the blank but actual like 80 assassins i don't remember the last talent and he wasn't played assassin i don't remember the last set and he was like i think bruisery much more so than assassin based so when you have assassins that aren't really like that strong in the meta and they don't even build assassin when they get picked they pick they 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 are built more bruisery. I think the issue is mainly because the assassin class is not that strong. And I think the Umbral Glaive always gets exploited, but the other actual like the other classes, like I remember Graves when he was meta, was the one that abused the Umbral Glaive the most. Like it was first item Umbral Glaive into then be building bruisery. He still does that. Now we see it even more so with the support position and supports are the ones that can make the most out of the item because they take care of the patient but i feel like the biggest issue is that assassins as a class are just stupidly weak and i don't think that that's going to get assessed in the near future either like maybe the blank but that's about it i feel like i think that's a fair point well those are the highlights of the patch i think unless Yarko, you got something else uh yeah before we depart from just you know farewelling 13.1b i do want to note that this patch has led to some very interesting dynamics that I think really reveal a lot about the NACL when you just look at raw champion win rates and presence. One of the things that really stands out to me is that Lucian Nami is faring exceptionally well and is very deserving, I think, of its placement as a very high priority bot lane. I hope that we can see more shifts to kind of take this pick out of the meta. But when you look at it in comparison to something like Caitlyn Lux or something that's a little bit more all in on this early game aggression, there really is no other option besides the Nami Lucian. And if we get that bard out of the meta, I think it's just going to open up so much more flexibility in that role for scalers to come back through. Maybe something other than Zeri would be nice. But overall, I think that there's still a whole lot that Riot can do to fiddle with things at this NACL level of competition to hopefully propel us into a fun new metagame where we don't have to just go to Moose Haters Garen to talk about fun picks coming through from all these teams. Perhaps, and then 80s will cry about it again and we'll have to change it back. <laughs> but until then, let's, uh, let's round things out. So like I said, we're four weeks through the NACL. Most teams have played about nine matches on average. That might be off by for one or two teams based on who's had Super Weeks and when. But uh, with that said, we're about halfway done. And 
I would like to have some discussions about our mid-season MVP uh, or mid-split MVP here. Obviously, not everybody has played everybody yet, and we'll do a, a little bit more formula, formal of a mo- most valuable prospect at the end. But uh, let's 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 hear our top candidates here at halfway through the season. As always, since I think they are the best players anyway, and I would always think that the best player should be a mid laner, I'm going to go MNS because I think that he not only has been one of the best mid laners, like even after last week, I think that this week he had tough competition in the mid lane in my eyes. He performed really great, and overall he has been performing really great. I love that he's bringing certain picks out that we don't. Like, we do get the chance to see his Akali and Silas often. I love that he tried to play the Vex this week. I think that it wasn't a bad pick and it worked out really well. Even though he got picked up a couple of times, I still think that he played well. And I think overall, he's one of the best performing mid laners, both in and out of lane. So overall, I, I think he deserves the mid-split MVP. And if I'm going to be wild, I think he'll get the end of split MVP as well, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think that that's a really good choice. Eminus is going to be on my shortlist as well. But, you know, given that Dignitas is on top of the pyramid right now, I think it'd be wrong to highlight anyone else besides someone from Dignitas. And for me, I'm going to give my vote over to XU, who has just been a fantastic facilitator for all of these lanes that, as Gordo put earlier and as Bonfire put even earlier than that, this is a team of gatekeepers and you are going to be tested to your very limit if you want to take this team down. And I think that the backbone, the Elmer's glue that holds everything together is going to be XU. Sure, do they play way too much Sejuani? Maybe, but that's, you know, a problem with the meta, not a problem with the player themselves. But every time they go on a champion like that, they absolutely pop off. And I think you really begin to see how Dignitas functions as a group if you focus in on their jungler. Yeah. See, the top team plays Sejuani, not Maokai. He also plays Maokai, though. Let's be honest but here. he plays more Sejuani. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, I think those are both solid picks. Uh, in, you know, shout out to MNS, who I think is probably the best, like, the most individually mechanically skilled player so far this split, I would say. It's still sitting at the top of the board with 25 solo kills. Would not be my pick here. I am taking a similar approach to Nyarko here. Um, but I have a little bit of a different read on Dignitas. I think while I would love for this to be XU's big breakout season and for him to be, you know, this uh, I- I- emerging into himself as the top jungler in Academy and, you know, be LCS bound and all those sorts of things, having seen him for the last year, I feel like I got to give some of the credit for this overall performance to Insanity. Uh, and I think that leaves Insanity as my split mid-split MVP. And I'm just looking at, he made Perry look so good in their Proving Grounds run last year, man. And I think he might be doing it to XU a little bit too. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that XU is actually just like discovered himself and is this incredible player now. Um, but I think he's just good. And I think Insanity just takes him to that next level. And, you know, maybe Insanity is the correct collective pick between the three of us. You know, TDS wants a mid laner. We want someone from Dignitas. I guess at the center of both of those continuities is, in fact, Insanity. Hey, I'm happy with mid laner supremacy. I'm, I'm all in for that. <laughs> I will say they have the best mid lane duo, like mid, mid jungle duo in the whole NACL. So 
I, I think either of them would be a pretty good shout-out. For sure, for sure. Tomio Eminus coming close to challenging that maybe a little bit, but it's just the inconsistency that gets me, right? Like, I think Eminus has had too many goofy games. This is how they end up dropping games to Golden Guardians, man, is when Eminus, like, just wanders up oh. too far in the Syndra over and over and over again. I will say, though, because now that you bring GGC, I'm glad that I'm seeing, like, my stocks on GGC are beginning to shine through. I think you <laughs> and I have the stocks on GGC on our side. We have the highest, yeah, yeah like, the, our, our rankings for GGC are probably the highest from everyone. So the fact that they are beginning to come through is actually really good. And I'm still hopeful. I think they are just one step from from showcasing that I was right on them. Ray and, and Young have been really, really good. And, you know, if we are going to move down the charts in terms of these teams to try to nominate an MVP for this split, I think that someone else that you have to talk to about, maybe a little bit of a wild card as their team implies, it has to be Moose Hater. What other player has drawn this level of discourse coming from a background where they just were not collectively known by the broader viewing public, right? I mean, their Garen picks have been talk of the town. You see discourse every single day when you open up Twitter. We just saw more. Myra was saying, why in the world are people still not banning this champion for the love of God? Please stop giving Moose Hater this pick. And that's got to stand for something. Even if they maybe aren't the best top laner, they're still in the runnings for doing so. And they're doing so in such an exciting and fresh way that I think really is defining how the NACL can appeal to a broader audience. Adam already, Adam from BDS already showed that you can play he, the Garen to the highest level. So, like, most hater knew something before everyone else. Well, yeah, and, you know, Adam locks in Garen in LEC playoffs, and uh, Shikarez gives a shout-out to Moose Hater on Twitter right when it happens. So here's the thing. <laughs> What do you define valuable as in most valuable prospect? Because value as in these guys are going to make my LCS team better? Probably Insanity or XU or MNS. Valuable as in getting people to watch the NACL? That's Moose Hater all day, baby. So definitely got to give him a little bit of shout out there. There's definitely some value to be found in, uh, in getting all these eyes on the NACL. I think that's going to do it for our show tonight. So thanks, everybody, for hanging out and chatting with us about NACL. Week 5 is coming up. This is a short week, uh, almost inexplicably so. There's only going to be two days of games. Um, I guess it coincides with the LCS Super Week, although none of the days overlap. So who's to say what the reasoning for this is? But uh does mean that there will only be uh, 12 matches this upcoming week. And uh, as we move further and further into the season and we are getting into the back half, we'll be back next week to break it down and maybe even get to go a little bit more in-depth on those games as there's going to be far fewer of them. Uh, but until then, thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next time.